Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, audio drama producer and podcaster. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about their show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Strange Air. A sci-fi mystery story created by Tony Martinez and Michael P. Greco, Strange Air deals with the disappearance of Malcolm Smith, host of a paranormal radio call-in show, who one night completely vanished while on the air. Ten years later, his daughter, Chase, a film student, is making a documentary about Malcolm's disappearance and uncovers secrets about her father's life she never knew. The show weaves recordings of Malcolm's on-air discussions with Chase's investigations to explore themes of belief, faith, and coping with loss. Strange Air is part of the Fable and Folly Network and has completed two seasons in a self-contained story. I spoke to Mike and Tony remotely from their homes in Los Angeles. Why don't each of you tell me something about yourselves uh, and your backgrounds as artists or creators? Who would like to go first? What do you think, Mike? You want to kick it off? Sure. So I actually, Tony and I met here in Los Angeles years ago doing improv comedy. And then uh, I went on to do voiceover and uh, write and perform sketch at, at Second City in Chicago, where I'm from, then came back out here. And uh, I've actually worked on a couple of shows for Wondery and, and done some announcing for some other podcasts. So um, uh, it was familiar with the podcast world a little bit before we jumped in. Mike is more the uh, expert in all matters voice related. <laughs> I was checking you out on IMDb, actually, and you got some nice credits up there. So, well, done. Yeah. thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a very fun career. Yeah. I got to be honest. <laughs> Tony, what about you? What's your background? Well, I'm from New York. I went to film school there. I worked as a line producer for many years to make a living, and I was on the side trying to express myself creatively by writing. And mm -hmm. I had a lot of good luck initially. I sold a couple of scripts and I had some options, which motivated me to move to LA. And at that point, writing became difficult. It wasn't fun anymore. And mm. uh, I decided I needed to make a living. So I became a talent agent representing actors for work in film and TV. And I've done that for about 20 years. But I've always been involved with the writing process and my clients' uh, literary projects and this sort of thing. And I, I I've never stopped loving writing. And when the pandemic hit, Mike and I kind of got together and put together our mutual knowledge bases and came up with the idea of doing a uh, scripted podcast together. I want to come back to how you guys got together, but I do want to follow up on something you said, because this really speaks to the creative condition. What is it that made writing stop being fun for you? Well, you know, it, it's nice to be paid to write. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's nothing wrong with that. But um, at some point, you, you're doing work you're not proud of, work mm. that is not coming from within. Yeah. You're trying to service other people. And what I was good at when I first started writing in L.A. professionally was doing rewrites and polishes and other people's scripts. And we're talking about independent films, not big studio films. And I call it the talking monkey syndrome, Okay, which means here, Tony, we have a perfectly good script that should be made. But can you please do a rewrite? 
and put in a talking monkey. <laughs> and what happens, Keith, that, that path leads to massive consumptions of alcohol. I believe it. I believe it. And to me, you know, that's why as an agent, I always made a good living. Um, I never had any issues there. And when I write on the side, it's just for fun, man. It's just yeah. a creative outlet after a long day. If it's an essay for myself or a script or a book I'm working on, I mean, you, Keith, you write your own, you write the book of constellations, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yes. So you know what it's like to create your own thing for you. Right. Writing from the heart, writing from someplace authentic, that really does feel very satisfying. And it may or may not sell. That's the other thing, but it does right. feel very satisfying. Exactly. Well, that, well, you bring up a good point. Mike and I, when we first started talking about the podcast, the, to the one thing we both agreed on, we're not doing this for money. It doesn't have to sell. It can run for a hundred years without a single ad. I don't care. We're doing this for us. Michael, how do you feel about this question of writing for yourself versus writing for some sort of outside interest that maybe has a financial concern attached to it, things like that? Well, the, it, it's an interesting point to say, yes, not everything you write will feed your soul. I, I wrote uh, some anime adaptations, which uh, were fun, but didn't feed my soul in any way. But the actually, one of the more fun jobs I ever had was writing jokes for internet clip shows. That was a blast because I was sitting in a room with four or five other really, really funny people. Two of happened to be very good friends of mine. And for two or three hours, we would just watch internet clips and shout out the funniest thing we could think of. So that was the best gig ever because yeah. you're getting paid to sit and laugh and, and make jokes. You know, the feeding your soul at, at the end of the day is absolutely something every writer has to do. And yes, if you're getting paid and it's it's soul sucking, okay, do the soul sucking thing for the money. And then on the side, do everything you can to feed your soul. So uh, help me with the timeline here. You guys met each other and then you kind of went away and did your own things for a while and then came back to LA? Or? Well, Mike, well, Mike and I met back in like way too long to remember doing improvisational theater, <laughs> but we've always been friends. I mean, we've always been in each other's lives. And so, and we also lived very close to each other. See, I, w I was always a fan of audio dramas. I, I got hooked on shows like Limetown and Rabbits and this sort of thing. And I was always fantasizing, wow, it'd be so much fun to do that. But it didn't seem like something I could do. It didn't seem accessible because it was outside my knowledge base. So when the pandemic hit, it's like I have a writing background. I know character. I know structure. Mike is a voiceover actor who knows a million experienced voice actors. He has a booth in his home. It suddenly became apparent to me like, hey, we could maybe try to do a podcast like a Black Tapes, like a Tannis, like Homecoming. And that was the initial spark, right, Mike? I mean, that's kind of where it started. Yeah, he came by and at one point we were just chatting about it. And he said, I, I really think we can do this. And I said, well, I've only listened to sports podcasts and interview podcasts and serial and things like that, true crime. So I don't really know audio drama. And he gave me five or six. He emailed me a bunch and I, I just started going through them. And I was mm. instantly hooked on some of them. I came back and said, yeah, we can, we can do this. If we write something, I know how to edit this stuff. I know how to use the, what actors to get. Let, let's do it. Why don't we talk a little bit about the show itself? What is Strange Air? Well, Strange Air is an audio drama in the science fiction genre. And the basic story is 10 years ago, a man named Malcolm Smith was the host of a call-in radio show about all matters related to the supernatural and the occult and the paranormal. One night in the middle of a live broadcast, he literally vanishes into thin air. No one sees it happen. But one moment he's there, the next moment he's gone. 
And then the podcast picks up 10 years later when his daughter, who is now a film student, makes a documentary about what may or may not have happened to her father as a way of moving on beyond the grief she's experienced her whole life. You know, I think partially also what we wanted to deal with was a, a little bit on loss and grief and also science. We just touch on a lot of different things that I think that really interested us. And that's essentially who we were writing for initially was what, what things are we interested in? And th these radio call-in shows about the paranormal, like, well, that's very interesting. So we started yeah. there. I, I don't know if you know the show, um, yeah. Keith, but there was a big radio show called Coast to Coast hosted by Art Bell. Art Bell, I sure do. Yeah. yeah. Ah, well, that was the initial spark. I, yeah. When I first moved to L.A., I was literally obsessed with that show. It was the most addictive radio program I'd ever heard. And that was the spark. Well, what? Why, why can't we do something with that? What if something supernatural happened to a host of a supernatural show? In the first episode, we get to meet Malcolm Smith, the host of the radio show. Mm -hmm. um, we also get to meet his daughter, Chase, mm -hmm. who is our protagonist. And by the way, that's a really interesting name, Chase, chasing down the answer to the mystery. <laughs> we also get to meet Danny, who is Chase's boyfriend. Played uh, by Mike. Played by Mike. Yeah. Danny is a film student as well. Yes. Who is helping her make the documentary about her father and disappearance. I, okay. I just have to say this. I picked up, this was really interesting to me, that there is a, it's kind of a roundabout Laverne and Shirley connection going on with your show. Yes, there is. In, in Laverne and Shirley, David L. Lander and Michael McKeon played the characters Lenny and Squiggy. Now, Natalie L. Lander mm -hmm. plays Chase. And that's David L. Lander's daughter. And Patrick Fabian, who voices Malcolm, was mm -hmm. on Better Call Saul with Michael McKeon. Yes. I, I got to tell you, Keith, that's just serendipity, <laughs> man. We didn't plan it. When we realized it, it was just such a, an amazing thing because Natalie is the first person we cast. She's somebody I've known personally for a long time, and she's a very experienced voice actor. And that's, the, that's a hard role to cast because it's not just you want a great actor, but you want someone who's going to commit to a lot of sessions. She's right. literally in the whole thing. And then uh, Michael knew Patrick Fabian personally, and then he came on second. That's great. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no question. Both of them have a really strong presence in the show. You know, Patrick Fabian's voice is unmistakable. Yeah, we were very lucky to have them. Absolutely. Yeah. My name is Malcolm Smith, and I welcome each and every one of you. For the next four hours, I will have the honor of being your guide to the unknown, the paranormal, the mysteries behind the veil. On this show, we won't be discussing politics. We won't be discussing the Dodgers or the Lakers, and we won't be discussing the traffic on the 405. Instead, we're going to focus on those strange lights you saw in the night sky and those scary sounds that seem to be coming from under your bed. There are people out there who feel the world has been drained of mystery. They say the Internet has linked every corner of this planet and technology has revealed how every magic trick is done. They believe the unknown has become known. Well, I'm not one of those people. I believe those poor souls have lost their ability to experience wonder. They no longer see the doors that lead us to a secret world. They have chosen to close their eyes. Let's talk about Chase, who's the protagonist. She's troubled, right? She, uh, she was very close to her father. Um, his disappearance traumatized her. She's got problems with drinking. She's going to therapy to deal with the lingering emotional damage that she's suffering. Uh, she's kind of obsessed over her father's disappearance. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and she's really not very nice to Danny <laughs> at times. And her mother, which we don't meet in episode one, but she she appears in the, in future episodes. She can be kind of snarky and belligerent sometimes. And it seems to me that her obsession with finding her father kind of damages the relationships with the people around her. This is kind of a challenging character, I think. So talk to me. What are your thoughts about having a protagonist that is kind of difficult to deal with? Well, you know, what's interesting, you're hitting on the kind of notes I think a lot of screenwriters get in L.A. Yeah. Whereas the, the big note every writer hates is make the main character likable. Right. I get the validity of that request. But if you start off with a character who's 100 percent likable, who has no issues, you have nowhere to go. There's no arc to follow. Mm -hmm. So we intentionally chose to make her, you know, as someone who is ab absolutely having issues and maybe is not very likable beyond right. the fact that she's searching for her dad. That gives us somewhere to go. That allows us through two seasons and 20 episodes to explore how she changes. We knew she'd be a tough pill to swallow initially, but we're hoping the story takes us along with her. I've heard this too. The traditional advice is, you know, what is it? A protagonist needs to be, you get picked two out of three, likable, competent, or proactive. But, you know, um, right. but... You, the more I think about it, and I was reading some things about this, likability isn't probably overrated. Um, yes. It's, it's not about being likable. It's about being interesting, right? That's and, absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and someone who is likable, I mean, who gets along all the time. I mean, if, if someone gets along all the time, where's the conflict, right? And what are stories about if they're not about a conflict? I also don't feel like it rings true if the main character loves everybody and everybody loves them. That's not real life. I, you know, we all have people we don't like, and there's plenty of people out there that don't like us, and that's that's real. So I think you you have to explore the reality of that. If a character is likable from the very beginning, there's a certain artificiality to that. Like I just rewatched Casablanca. The Humphrey Bogart plays Rick, and Rick is very unlikable during the first half hour of that movie. He's a cold, cynical bastard who doesn't care about anyone except himself. That's the beginning. If that's all you see. Besides the fact that Bogart is playing him, there's nothing likable about him. And then the fun is to see how he slowly melts and reveals his inner feelings. So I'm really glad you brought that up, Keith, because we've had a lot of good reviews, but we've had a few reviewers say, you know, yeah, she's kind of hard to say. I'm like, well, listen, <laughs> what you think you want is not what you really want. If you think you right. want a character who's likable from the first second of the first episode, you're wrong. That's not what you want. You want someone interesting who you can follow and see grow and change. Also, if, if it was a man instead of a woman, you wouldn't get nearly the same amount of complaints. Thank you for saying, yeah, that. For saying that. And there was actually a reviewer that had posted something very similar. They said the same thing, like, hey, for all of you complaining that, you know, you don't like the main character. Well, what if it was a guy? Would you say right. the same thing? Right. Yeah. If it was a hard bit noir detective, we would have no problem with it. So I found that the rough edges were believable because of her childhood and what happened and that she was so close to her father. You know, we find out in, in future episodes, she and her father were very, very close. And his mysterious disappearance left a hole in her life that she has never been able to fully deal with and process with. And she was 12 years old when it happened. So, you know, when right. you're that young, you repress things that come back to haunt you when you're older. Hey, uh, are you coming tonight? Did we have plans? Oh my god, you almost forget. The Film Society screening. Oh, right. Uh, what are they showing? Another boring art film? Oh, Chase, Chase, it's La Strada, and that movie is cinema at its best. Fellini won his first Oscar for directing it. Fellini? 
Who's Fellini? I can't believe I'm in love with you. <laughs> Stop. I know who Federico Fellini is. He's Italian, right? Yes, yes, that's correct. He actually made that pizza you're eating. <laughs> the other thing that's, that's interesting to me about the, the structure that you guys chose to tell the story in is that you use sort of shifting storytelling styles. The first episode, if you're brand new to the podcast, it sounds like you're going to be listening to an episode of Strange Air. Like we're dropped right into the middle of one of Malcolm Smith's podcasts mm -hmm. um, where we're hearing the podcast as if it were real. And then about five or 10 minutes in, do we then break and we realize that it, this is footage that Chase is playing because she's using it as part of her film. So we shift, therefore, into sort of a dialogue scene between Danny and Chase. And then we have a third shift later on, which is we get Chase's audio diaries. I'm curious as to what your thinking was when you were shifting styles in this way. I think one of the things we were trying to do after listening to a lot of the audio dramas that we enjoyed was to turn it on its ear a little bit and try and tell the story in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. So as you said, you know, we drop in first, it's the radio show and you think, oh, that's what this is. Oh, hang on. No, it's a documentary. She's doing a documentary. And then we get cinematic. And I think for us to tell the story, we really wanted to use as many elements audio wise as we possibly could. And I think that we, we were trying to have some fun with it and, and let people take a guess as to what kind of story they were actually listening to. So I think that's how you hook an audience, right? I mean, you have to sort of surprise them. You think it's one thing and then it's another. Did you have anything in specific in mind when you were thinking about these diaries, this, these blog entries? Well, I think at a certain point, you need to hear her inner thoughts. So we were trying to figure out, well, how do we do that without being hokey? or having a voiceover. Because the thing is, there's a conceit in podcasting, especially a few years ago, where every fictional podcast you listen to is someone who is recording a podcast. Right. Right? I mean, uh, Rabbits is that. Limetown, to a degree, is that. Well, you know what? There's nothing more boring than someone talking about the past, right? So you have to find a way to show the past. It's just an ability to jump back and forth between the past and the present to make Malcolm Smith a real person, not someone his daughter is talking about 10 years later, but somebody you hear, who you hear his personality, how he talks to the callers, how he's respectful to people who are calling of crazy theories about Bigfoot and UFOs. So it, it's a way of making him real, not just someone in her past. Yeah. One of the things that the clips you play demonstrates is is the kind of man that Malcolm Smith was. And one of the reasons why Chase loved him as she did, I think. Yeah. Because he, he is authentic and empathic. Mm -hmm. um, he comes across as very caring, which makes his disappearance even stranger. It makes it very hard for us to go, well, he just ran off, you know, or he staged it or something. Oh, hello, Malcolm. Uh, hey, thank you for taking my call. I'm a huge fan. Well, we seem to have quite a following in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. There's a lot of crazy up here. So what's on your mind, Luke? Well, I heard what you said about the dark woods that surround us, and that, that really hit home. The woods up here are as dark as they come. And about a month ago, I went into those woods just to get away from it all, you know? And I got turned around, and it was starting to get dark, and I could not find my way out. Well, that sounds like a frightening experience. Ah, it was. But I got lucky. Someone found me. And who was that? Bigfoot. I'm sorry. Did you say Bigfoot? 
as in yes 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 he just showed up and offered to show me the way out i swear to god i am not lying he had these 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 really kind eyes and he pointed me in the right direction like a spirit guide exactly so one of the things that that doesn't come up in the first episode but i think it's important we talk about is that as the show continues you begin to weave themes of faith and belief into the story. We find out that Malcolm had connections with priests and other peoples of faith. And, and belief really becomes kind of at the core of the Strange Air story. It's not just about religion, but also about why people do what they do. What attracted you both to these themes? If this was a podcast that's about a girl searching for her lost father, it would be really boring. Because that's just, that's the plot, right? So what's the real theme is what we had to ask ourselves. What, what is this really about? The idea of faith and what you believe is very important to me, especially in the political climate we currently find ourselves. But also I was born and raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school. I, I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore, but I was always intrigued by that, that idea. What do you believe? Chase is always asking people that. What do you think? What do you believe? What do you believe happened? You know, for me, it's it, it's a fascinating look at not just religion, but also UFOs and aliens and conspiracy theorists. And it sort of steamrolls into the point of, well, OK, everybody believes something and they have very strong reasons why they believe in those things. And I think that's just so fascinating to both of us to explore the mindset of for instance, the professor who has his, uh, a whole list of reasons why he thinks aliens are real or why uh, religious people feel their religion is right. or it, it's, a, it's an interesting mindset to dive into, and it's just fascinating to both of us. It's also the nature of faith, and, I, and it's not about religion. I mean faith in general because faith generally is you believe in something very, very strongly about absolutely any facts that back it up, right? Mm -hmm. So sure. there are people in this world who believe Bigfoot is real. Right. They can't prove it. They can point to, you know, films and dubious evidence, but they have faith. It's real. And nothing you say to them can dissuade them from that. If you listen to Coast to Coast of Art Bell, oh, dear Lord, people would call in with the most insane theories and beliefs, but they really thought they were real. So I, I thought a show like this with a woman searching for her father's or trying to solve her father's uh, disappearance lent itself to that. And it made it more personal for me. Yeah. I mean, Chase fervently believes that her father is alive and she is going to find him. Mm -hmm. Like she is absolutely certain of this. And yet it's been like 10 years since the disappearance. And yet she still holds out this faith that one day she's going to find him. And I think that does speak to us as humans in the, the things that we choose to believe and the things that we hang our hopes upon, even in the face of no evidence. And, and listen, Keith, that's a day-to-day -day thing. And as someone who started his own podcast, you, you will understand this. It's um, when we started doing the podcast, we knew nothing about podcasting, zero. Right. But right. we really did have faith in ourselves <laughs> yeah. and the material that we could do it. And that's anything in life. You have faith something's going to turn out correctly. You have faith this will resolve itself. Um, I, I love that. I think that's like the basic essence of life. Is there something about this particular story that you wanted to tell at this time? Is there something that speaks to you personally? It's hard to figure out where a creative spark comes from. It just, uh, it felt right. And also there was a personal element, I suppose, where, you know, we both have lost our fathers at a younger age. Mm -hmm. And there was an element of that that was very appealing to explore that. It was the idea that got us excited. And we had four or five others. And 
that was the one we just kept coming back to a, a story about belief, about faith and about loss and searching. And that it it just it excited our creative side. And I think that's why we went with it. You did say that both of you lost your fathers early. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that and maybe how that impacted your creative work? I was 29 when my dad passed away and I'm in my 50s now. So it was, I was pretty young when it happened. And, you know, he was a, a gentleman in his 50s who probably was very old school, smoked too much, you know, not a lot of exercise, a lot of stress, and he had a heart attack. And I, I think at the time, it had no deep effect on me as far as I know. But as you get older, you start exploring the thoughts and the feelings and the sense of loss and what could have been. That was always in the back of my mind when we started working on Strange Air. But I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I was trying to work out any kind of personal demons. My dad and I had a great relationship. But there is a part of me that had a lot of sympathy for Chase because I kind of understood the thought of not searching for your father, but trying to understand what happened to your father. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. I was very close to my dad. He was, he was an actor as well. And so I got a lot of my ability and talent, I think, inherently from him. He had a heart attack one day and it was very much... Uh, I saw him uh, probably three days before he passed away and I gave him a hug and a kiss and said, I love you. And that was my last memory of my dad. So I can always hold on to that as something that I cherish. And it was, it was funny to me for a while because I, I, I had the ability to look at, at death and loss at the time that I was going through because I was in my 30s. And it was interesting to kind of view myself from outside myself and watch me go through this roller coaster of emotions and watch friends and family and come up to me and interact with me knowing that death affects everybody differently yeah. and and their own reaction obviously was something that happened in their life to me was very interesting and it was something that i actually wrote a lot during that time of just personal stuff that i have saved on a computer somewhere of just how I felt day to day for about six months. Some of the stuff was very interesting as we started writing this, just how you feel about it and how you feel about death and loss. Being an actor and being a writer and someone who observes human nature in that way, I really paid attention to that around the time of my dad's death because I was just fascinated by human nature at that time. This is a mystery story. Mm -hmm. So what makes a good mystery? A good mystery, I think, is one that makes you try to solve it along with the main character, right? You're listening to Chase talking to people. You should be connected with Chase, trying to see how she's responding to the answers she's getting and how you, what you think. It's not just wanting to know the ending. It's wanting to get involved in the process of getting to the ending. I also really like the stories that if you go back and listen to it again, all the clues are there. Oh, right. You might not actually be able to put a finger on exactly what happened. But if you go back and listen, you go, oh, I missed that. It was two or three lines here and there that really point to something important. But at the time, you don't really know it. And at the end, when, you, when the mystery is finally revealed and solved for you, you can go back and look and go, oh, gosh, all the way through. There was an, something here, something here, something here that if you really were paying attention, you probably might have been able to figure it out. And the other thing, too, is there's um, there are little questions. There are little pieces of, of information that are intentionally left out that cause the audience to just kind of sit up and go, wait, wait, 
I need to know what this is. This information you withhold from the audience, or, or it can be a question that the audience desperately wants answered, and you kind of put off the answer to make them keep on listening and so forth. Well, I got to tell you, Keith, you, you really hit on something that's so important there. It's, mm-hmm. you know, when you're writing, it's just so tempting to explain everything. You, you want the listener to get it, but you also want the listener to figure things out for him or herself. So you need to leave things out. You need to leave a couple of blank spaces. How do you both measure success? For me, it, it's kind of a moving bar, especially with this um, this project. As you know, initially we were just so happy and felt pleased and successful just the day we hit submit on episode one. We finished every single episode of season one before we even uploaded the first episode. We right. were done. You know, that felt like a massive bit of success, and then. Once we started getting more downloads in it and we realized, wait, this is more friends than either one of us have. There's other people listening to this. You know? yeah. that, was the, that was the next bar. And then New and Noteworthy was another bar. And then season two was another bar. So I think we just kind of keep surprising ourselves. And, and it feels good. You know? but, but Yeah, but you know what? I'm going to offer a counterpoint to that because I, I think for me, it's not about downloads or being spotlighted by Apple or Spotify or any of this noise. That's all great stuff. And Mike's right. That that defines part of success. But for me, it's you know, it's a gut feeling, man. It's how do you feel? Did I accomplish what I wanted to do? Am I happy with this? Can I sit down six months later and listen to an episode about cringing? Everything Mike said is true. I'm a business person. I get it. But for me, it's more internal. Two seasons in the can now. Is there something that you've learned about making audio dramas that maybe you didn't know when you got into it that you could share with us? One of the things we're actually really paying attention to now, and actually, if you go to our Twitter feed at Stranger Pod, where uh, every Friday we're doing a Fiction Pod Friday tweet of what we learned, because I think we we kind of want to give back to everybody that helped us and anybody who's new to just kind of get a tip. One of the most important things I think both of us learned is we shouldn't have stopped as soon as we finished season one. We should have written season two, and as soon as we were done with season two. Let's go on to the next thing. We we kind of took breaks. Some of it was was needed, but we look at our timeline now and we're like, oh, we we could be do it. We could we could sped that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I I wouldn't change a thing. I would keep every single mistake. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, yeah. No, honestly, every mistake we made was gold because that makes you learn. And oh, true, very true. And yeah. honestly, this was su- Keith. This was such a daunting thing. You know, podcasting. Wait, what's a host? How yeah. do you get on Apple? <laughs> right. Do I need what kind of microphone? I mean, it's absurd how much, but the thing is, it's all figure outable. That's what I call it. It's figure outable. Yeah. <laughs> if you make the effort and we have the lovely internet to help us, it can be done. So it was such a daunting process, and we were like, we're never going to pull this off. So I wouldn't change a thing. Everything we learn, we're going to use for the next podcast and just grow from there. I, I think uh, you have to be okay with the mistakes. Now that you guys have had the benefit of uh, two seasons and you've been picked up by Fable and Folly Network, how do you feel about this experience from the, in the time spent in this space? I've loved it. I really have. Uh, you know, Tony and I have been friends for a long time and we have a great ability to when we're working to not have an ego about it, but also not have any problem with just saying, no, that's that's not a great idea. I don't think that works. This dialogue isn't right. And it does not affect our friendship. We're able to come in, work, do it, be creative, argue about it, and then walk off and have dinner and go do an escape room and have fun. 
And it's yeah. been really, really wonderful. Uh, but also to get to know each other on a deeper level of of what really drives us when we are working. It, it's been an interesting part of our friendship. It's been great. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I think it's been life changing, Keith, because I, I have been on the business side of the entertainment industry for two decades now. Just to do a left turn into a creative project has been great just great. And also, it's not like I wrote a book or I wrote a screenplay I'm trying to sell. We wrote it. We made it. We put it out there. We did the whole thing, beginning, middle, and end. It's so great to have that feeling of accomplishment. It's terrific. Uh, I love it. Daddy, I know you're out there somewhere. People don't just vanish into thin air. And I've got about 10 years worth of questions and anxiety and anger and sadness that we have to talk about. I still miss you. The mystery of Malcolm Smith's disappearance is a compelling conceit, supported by strong vocal performances and an effective, simple audio design. But the mystery is all the stronger for the questions the show raises along with it. About the paranormal? About the truths we cling to? and our faith and beliefs about the people in our lives. You can listen to Strange Air on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. This show is a production of Alien Ghost Robot Creative Media. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or are an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our website at thefirstepisodeof.com. We're happy to be a part of the Audio Drama Lab, a Discord-based resource for audio drama development and networking. Check it out at audiodramalab.com. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time.